Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. And today I have Marco M. on the show. So you're actually a listener. Yeah, uh, so I want to ask you, you're actually a listener of the, of the podcast. And what's funny is that I was at Just Salads which I love. I'm like addicted to that place. It's (laughs) like so simple and easy. And I remember I was like working on my computer and you just came over to me. You're like, yo, I'm sorry, bro. But like, I listened to the podcast. Yeah. Remember like I hit up your Instagram and like you started a podcast too. Right, right. So how did you find the podcast? How long have you been listening to it for? Uh, I've been listening to you for about eight months, bro. Wow. Yeah. And it just came up on my shit. Like it came up on On TikTok or something. It came up on the gram. On Instagram? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I got to check this out. A couple of my boys in uh, the 12 step program that I go to, like uh, they knew about it as well Mm -hmm. too. So yeah. So that's cool, man. Yeah. We talk about it. And then I was like, oh, fuck, man. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty popular, you know? No, no. It's it's very popular. Thank you. Yeah. It's very popular. And it's, uh, it's deep. It's deep content, man. It, it like if you if you really like listen to some of the episodes, which I have, you can extrapolate shit that helps you, that helps me in in my recovery. I appreciate that. And like my whole the point, my whole role of the show is to just be a guest finder. So like I don't like the show really being about me. Like sometimes I'll like interject when people speak, but I think there's so many good stories out there, so many amazing stories from everyday people just walking around. Right just working regular nine to fives. You have no idea what this person has been through, how amazing they are. And like in recovery, we got like real superstars. Like, bro, there are people in recovery that have helped thousands of people that are like pillars in the community or just someone like a couple of years clean could be somebody that like influences so many other people, especially in South Florida. It's like an endless sea of like people in recovery. You know, it's like so normal. Like being in recovery here is like, you know, surfing in California, you know, it's just like, well, there's like a community of us. There's so much bad about addiction out in the internet, like all the fentanyl overdoses and stuff. So this is my way to kind of display all the success stories. Like I just went to a wedding, shout out to my boy, Brandon and Elise. And I think there was probably like 60 people there. Everyone there was in recovery and has known him since he's been clean. The kids got over 10 years clean. His girls got over 10 years clean. So you got to imagine there's 60 people in that room with over 10 years clean that's seen him get together. And it's like, how often do you see a love story? Well, we see it all the time. But like for more normal people, it's like, oh, we met. We were both in halfway. Mm -hmm. We didn't we didn't hook up for six months because we wanted to focus on our recovery. And like you didn't have a car. And then like a year later, we're still dating and like. We got a car and, we, you know, my friend started a business and like today he's like a successful businessman, Yeah, you know, and he's like right. a good dude, yeah. you know, so. People can fucking change their life, bro. Like, mm-hmm. And like down here in South Florida, it's kind of like what I've came across is that like you bump into somebody and, and they'll know somebody else. Oh, you know him. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. And then you hit him up. I just ran into this dude. Oh, shit, man. Mm-hmm. Tell him what's up. Blah, blah, blah. Like. It's something that sticks with you, man, and you just keep going. You keep going. Like, you you keep wanting to have that interaction with other people that are in recovery because it helps you. Like, you go through some shit, you text somebody, blah, 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 and mm-hmm. they'll text you back. And, and they'll be like, yeah, I been, I was going through that a couple of weeks ago. Yo, I did this. Try this out. Bam. It, you know, it worked. And, uh, yeah, man, so I, I feel you. But, yeah, getting back to what you said, uh, eight months. I've, I've been listening for about eight months, bro. That's cool. Yeah. That's so sick. And then when did you start your podcast? Three months ago. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so. Yeah, bro, like I tell people, like someone sent me someone else doing a podcast once and they're like, oh, bro, they're copying you. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not like, I don't have like a monopoly on like on storytelling about people in recovery, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think like the more stories that get out there and the more content that gets pushed about recovery, because when I got clean, it was literally intervention and Dr. Drew, you know what I mean? And like, no one stayed clean. It was just a nightmare. There wasn't any recovery stories out there. And then if it was in an HBO show, it was always shown in like a dim lit room. Yeah, It was right. never like 
bro, you go to South Florida, it looks like a comedy club. Yeah. You know what I mean? You yeah. got like 80 people in there laughing their ass off, having a good time, Most having definitely. fun. Yeah. All right. So where are you from and how did you end up here? Well, you know, I always start, you know, I'm Marco. I'm a grateful recovering addict. Born in Las Vegas. My parents got divorced when I was five. My dad moved to San Francisco and we stayed in Vegas, my mother and I. At three, I started playing baseball. So that was my whole deal. Like, till college, I played baseball every day. That was my thing. I had an estranged... It's funny uh, because like a lot of intervention shows are always like star baseball players, star musician, <laughs> because like addicts are gifted, bro. We're gifted and we're obsessive compulsive. And a lot of times it works in our benefit until we find drugs. And then we get clean and like we find out how to use it and yeah. our benefit again. Yeah, those are facts, man. Mm -hmm. Addicts are gifted, a lot of artists, genius people, bro. Unfortunately, you know, I had a, an estranged relationship with my father. Uh, he was, uh, he died in active addiction, but uh, he used to do coke and he used to drink and he used to get all fucked up and do like six punch, eight punch combinations on me and, and pretty much knock my ass out, bro. That happened for a couple of summers, and I didn't tell anybody. I hid that shit, and I, I didn't tell anybody about it. What happened was, kind of fast forward, I, through high school, um, I, I never used any drugs. I drank, but I, I never used any drugs. You know, it was, I was all about baseball, being an athlete, uh, training daily. When I was 22 years old, I still was Las, in Las Vegas. I started, uh, I'm a chef by trade, so I started a, a five-year apprentice sous chef program at this hotel in Las Vegas. And my roommate, his, uh, his sister came by the house one day. We used to drink and smoke weed with her. So when I stopped playing baseball, you know, the drinking and, and, and the smoking weed really like started. And she uh, brought speed over one day. And I got really sick. I tried it and I got really sick. And then the next day I tried it again and I was hooked. So it's like I stopped playing for like 19 years of baseball. And then all of a sudden speed came in and mm -hmm. I was I was hooked off the bat. So like, you know, because like in Florida, there's not a lot of speed. So like we're talking about meth. Yeah, meth, meth mm -hmm. slash ice like down in the, in the West Coast. That's what they that's what that they were calling mm -hmm. it. Right. Homemade shit. Right. Garbage under your sink. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, highly, highly, highly addictive. You know, it's like rat poison, to be honest with you. Yeah. I was immersed in this culinary, you know, and uh, by the way, I just want to put this out there that, you know, in this culture of being a chef, like there are a lot of people that don't use drugs and don't drink. But by choice, I made that choice. Mm -hmm. All right. So I just want to put that out there. It's not like everybody, every chef is like <laughs> this, you know, it, it's totally not like that. Yeah. Um, but I immersed myself in this lifestyle and a lot of the, the dudes that I hung out with, a lot of the cooks and the chefs were doing some type of drugs, mostly like Coke, Speed, or popping like uh, opiates. I actually worked for this famous chef in Vegas and he asked me to go to New York. I figured, you know what, man, you know, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to quit this shit and I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to, I'm going to get straight. And I didn't think I had a problem, to be honest with you. I never thought of like back then I had a problem. I went to New York and I'm working in two, three-star restaurants in, in Manhattan. It just followed me and it was cocaine. I just started using cocaine and it was on a daily, on a daily basis at work. Mm -hmm. In that time, this is like it's so crazy to me because it's like cocaine is one of those drugs that like you need it so rapidly. So to do it at work is uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, and you know I'm not going to put any names out there or place people, places, or things or anything like that, bro. But um, it was accepted there. It was like heavy hitters, celebrity chefs, like you mm -hmm. know, like it was part of our part of the deal. Like they knew we were doing it in the walk-in. Like some of them were fucked up as well too. So mm -hmm. you're working 12, 14 hours a day, six days a week. You get off in the in the restaurant. You know, and some people don't know like what the life is like when you're at a restaurant getting this beautiful food. But in the back in the trenches, like it's fucked up, man. Like these dudes are working. These men and women are working 12, 14 hours a day. And when you're done, like when that last dessert goes out in the dining room, what they usually do is like the, the, the front of the house, the manager will come back to the kitchen and give you a shift drink. So it's like one o'clock in the morning and you got a beer. Mm -hmm. Well, our day is done like at one in the morning, not like a normal nine to five, right? So what do you do? Like when we're done at one, we don't like just you go just home and go going. to sleep, man. You just keep fucking balling. And that's what I did. And I kept going. And like, and you guys make good money, right? No, we made shit money. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we made shit money, man. The, the top dogs, like, they made the cream. Gotcha. Yeah, no, we made shit money, man. We, we like, when I moved to New York, I lived in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, in a 700-square-foot, one-bedroom spot with this other dude. But anyway, so I'm hooked. I'm doing coke daily. It's just part of the culture. And I, I never really thought I had a problem until 
what happened was, is I met my wife. She's seven years younger than me. So when I was 26, I met her in New York in the city. She was 19. She's clean. She doesn't do drugs. She never did anything, anything like that at all. So um, I met her and we actually uh, hooked up and we opened a restaurant in Brooklyn, New York, our own spot. Wow. You know, that fucking disease followed me, man. I remember one night in the restaurant, I went to, you know, use the bathroom during service, you call it, like, you know, when people are in the dining room. I remember looking in the mirror, I was doing coke, and I said to myself, man, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And like, I'll always remember that shit, man. It was just like. Did you have periods of stopping before that? No, I didn't. I didn't, mm-hmm. man. I used for 19 years straight. In the last six years, I went on a six-year run. Mm. You know, it progressively got worse. We had kids. We have a 21-year-old and a 16-year-old. Shout out to Camille and Quinn. Just to let everybody know what the disease is for me, you know, this is my story. I'm conniving. You know, I'm an actor. I'm a schemer, man. She didn't know for 13 years that I was doing cocaine. She had wow. no fucking idea, bro. Wow. And we're working together, living together, and have kids together. And she had no She had idea. no fucking clue. She'll tell the story like... She thought you had bad sinuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. She's like, oh, he might, he has sleep apnea, he has sleep problems, and he's just fucking a little crazy, you know what I'm saying? Like, he has mood disorder. Like, he's wow. up and down. Yeah, but she didn't know. And, like, but she wasn't a part of that life. Like, she didn't grow yeah. up. Like, she had a beautiful Yeah, some great people childhood. are, like, really naive. Exactly, yeah, you know. But to her credit, man, you know, she stuck it through. So what happened was is that we moved to South Florida from New York a little over seven years ago. It just got worse, man. The last six months of my 19-year using, uh, I was mixing Coke with uh, Speed and Ice. Mm. And I may, I might have slept, on, uh, t- to be quite honest with you, I might have slept maybe like two months out of those six months. And at one point, two weeks before I went to rehab, I didn't know I was going to rehab. I decided the only way I said, I thought to myself, man, I can't do this anymore. I never was arrested, thank God. I never went to jail. I never overdosed. There wasn't really fentanyl. I'm 49, so there wasn't really like fentanyl back then. And I said, you know what, man? I'm going to drive my fucking car in the SunPass station and kill myself. That was the plan. That's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna stop this shit. I'm tired of this. I was just tired of this. It's it's a fucking lifestyle, bro. Like mm-hmm. to to use every day is like it's a job in itself. Yeah, it's like being in the military with like a drill sergeant, and like you just have to. It's crazy. And, and, you know, like, and I'm not going to sit here and say, well, it was because of the, you know, I made the choice. Mm-hmm. You know, no one put a fucking gun in my head, man. You know, I, I did it. I, I own it. Yeah, and I think that's important because when you go to meetings and you meet other recovering addicts, like, that's everyone's story. Like, you know, I wasn't a victim. And before coming to meetings or, like, my family t- talking about meetings, they, they would think that admitting you're an addict is, like, having a victim mentality and not taking accountability. But it's the opposite. Like, getting clean is actually you know, holding yourself accountable and not putting the blame on anybody because it's like, you know, after you turn 18, like, dude, whatever happened to you as a kid, yeah, that might have had an effect, but you continuously made made those decisions instead of getting help. Right. You know, it's like, bro, if you're an adult, you know you have trauma, you know what I mean? So like, instead of fixing those issues and seeing a therapist or doing the things you got to do or talking about it, like, just do what's comfortable. Yeah. And you just, a lot of, you know, what I did is I just fucking, I just put that shit down, man. I held it. I held it. So what happened was, is that, uh, you know, I didn't have the balls to kill myself. Obviously, I'm sitting here in front of you, right? I was living in Jupiter and I was a corporate executive chef of a catering company in Miami. So I was commuting daily from Jupiter to Miami, bro. And I might have slept an hour or two hours. I have no idea. And I came home to Jupiter one day and I just crashed for like eight days. And on the second day, my wife, my my kids were like, what the fuck? And my wife came and she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I looked at her and I said, I'm addicted to cocaine. And she's like, what? How long? And I'm like, I told her, you know, 13 years. I've been using for 19 years. You know, she left the room. I told her the whole plan too. I was going to kill myself. She left the room. She came back in. We went and saw a psychiatrist. And I didn't tell the psychiatrist. Like, you know, it was just I, I went and told, I mm-hmm. went and sat with the psychiatrist. So like, you know, I'm obviously like I'm bullshitting and manipulating him, right? I'm not telling him I'm a fucking drug addict. I just thought, I said I had some mental issues. So he Baker acted me. Oh, really? Yeah, straight Baker acted me, man. You told him, did you tell him I you were t- suicidal? Yeah, no, I said, I want to kill myself, man. I want some meds. And he's wow. like, oh, really? And he's like, hold on. And like 30 minutes later, he came back in. Bam. I'm, I Were go, you mad I, at him? Yeah, I was fucking pissed, bro. <laughs> I was so pissed, man, because yeah. I had to go to JFK. Yeah, because a lot of JFK, dude. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times you're like, this is a safe place. But that's the one thing that it's not a safe place. <laughs> no, man. I, you know, like, because I, I, I was so out of my mind, too, man. I didn't yeah. know. Like, I was, I was just thinking about, like, 
getting Adderall, like whatever he was gonna give me. You know? When I got uh, when I got Baker acted, I remember them being like that. They told me that they were gonna Baker act me, and they're like, "You're gonna hate us." And deep down, I was like, "Thank God." Oh, really? Like that's how I felt, bro. When I went to treatment and, and I got, uh, it was actually like a Marchman act. It was like a voluntary. Okay. Your family, you know, your yeah, family yeah. does it. Right. I was like. So at least somebody's doing something because I was so young. People would always be like, well, we don't want this to go on your record. We don't want you to miss school. So like I was used to people not taking me seriously or I would just bullshit them. And I remember when they like uh, were like, dude, you're going away. I was like, please. I was ready. I was like, nice. It felt good that someone was actually taking it seriously. And I wasn't able to because when people wouldn't do anything, I'd be like, are you guys retarded? You yeah, know? right. I would tell my parents that I drank too much Red Bull and had some caffeine pills. <laughs> and my parents were like, okay. And then I would be, I'd go to my room like, well, how do they believe that? Right. So I had a bag of shit on me. Wait, uh, so you were in Florida? Yeah, South Florida. Yeah. So why I did said, you? I, I said, I, we, we moved from New York to South Florida. Okay, like, but why did you say you have to go to JFK? Uh, JFK Hospital. Oh, there's a JFK Hospital. Yeah, there's a JFK okay. Hospital. Yeah. So I went to JFK and I had a bag of like uh, the Coke with the speed and the ice all mixed in. Mm-hmm. And they go in there and you can either go to the ER, there's two cops, right? So I had to go, because mm -hmm. the Baker you have to go in front of these cops, sign on this paper and shit, right? And I was like, yo, I got to use the bathroom. And they're like, all right, cool. So I use the bathroom. I do the whole bag. I come out, I'm fucking just zooted, like mm -hmm. insanely, like in the, in the, the two guys, whatever these guys are, nurses or whatever, they mm -hmm. came and they totally can see like I'm fucking flying. Mm -hmm. They pin me down, shoot me up with some shit in my fucking arm, man. I wake up, I'm in a confined room with uh, no windows, no chairs, there's no toilet seat on the toilet, nothing, man, mm -hmm. with this other dude, and he's, like, in a straight jet. So I'm in there for, like, <laughs> five fucking days. They're giving me all these pills, man. I get out. I go back to the uh, the psychiatrist, and I was like, listen, man, I need help. He's like, well, you know, that didn't help you? I'm like, man, I'm, I've been doing cocaine for 19 years, bro. I need help, man. I, I don't know. I'm going to kill myself. I go to treatment, my first and only treatment. Awesome. Thank God, mm -hmm. so far to the day, just for today, man. This is what happened to me in treatment that that changed my life, dude. I'm in treatment at this facility and we're outside and all the all the cokeheads and the crackheads are working out, dude, <laughs> right? We're doing like all day and shit. And we're working out and all of a sudden uh, I could see this guy, like this uh, African-American guy, man. He, he, he's like yoked mm -hmm. and he's walking outside to us and I could totally, you know, tell he's not a, he's not a patient. And he's like, hey, Marco, man, can I talk to you for a second? And it was Vance Johnson. I don't know if you know mm -hmm. Vance Johnson was a, a former, uh, very famous wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. He was one of the three amigos. Okay, I'm not a sports guy. Yeah, I but no, no he, like, he, like he, he, like he, well, he's he, well known. He, he's yeah. well known, man. Well okay. known, and so I only know him because of I've seen him on TV play. But football. you knew, you recognized him. I totally recognized him, wow. but I didn't know how the fuck he knew my name. All right. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, bro. Like he's like, no, man, and he was like, just very calm. Like he had like this fucking aura, like mm -hmm. this presence about him, dude. Mind you, I have no idea about his backstory, all right? He goes, let me, let me, you know, can we talk for a minute? And I'm like, sure, yeah. So he sits me down and um, he goes, man, I know, I heard you got a wife and you got a, you have a, a daughter and your son, he plays tennis, right? Like, how the fuck did you know that, man? And so when I actually went in the rehab and the intake, you know, they take all your shit. They, well, the place I went to, they strip you down, they check your, you know, all that shit. Yeah. And I asked for my phone back to see the picture of my family. And the dude was really mad cool. He's like, yo, who's that? We started talking and shit. And I, you know, I told him all the whole deal. And he, like, I'm kind of older for people, like the rehab that I went into, just, you know, for the listeners. You had know, younger years, people. Yeah, they had younger people. So the dude that I was talking to, he, like, said, hey, Vance, man, this dude got, like, a whole family and shit. Maybe you need to talk to him. That's how Vance knew my he name. He worked there. Yeah, he worked there. Well, uh -huh. he, he, uh, he was part of, I'll, I'll get into that. Uh -huh. Yeah, so Vance uh, tells me, um, he goes, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about your kingdom. And uh, he's like, you believe in God? And I was like, you know, fuck, I don't know, man. I grew up Catholic, but where the, I, like, look where I'm at right now, man. Like, how the fuck, you know? He goes, you got to, you're, you know, you're the king of your kingdom. You got a queen, your wife, and you have these beautiful seeds, and you're letting the disease of addiction man come and fucking slaughter them, rape them, kill them. You're letting that whole motherfucker kill your whole fucking kingdom, bro. And you don't even see it, man. You're killing your family. That shit, dude, that. Uh, bro, Brian, man, that shit fucking like wrecked me, dude. Like that, like I, I, I never realized like what I was doing to them, man. And I never realized that I was the culprit. I, I, I never wanted to be like my father, dude. Like, but I loved him. I like, I was like emulating the man, and I didn't even grow up with him. And 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 he was died in active addiction. And so Vance is like, uh, you can change this shit. 
He goes, you got to fucking, and he, he didn't cuss, but he's like, you could change this. He goes, you got to say a prayer, man. You got to look up to the sky, man. You got to say, God, help me because help me want this. When it comes to personal hygiene, who has time to read that long list of ingredients on the back of the bottle? If you're like me and you care about what goes on your body, then it's time to try native personal care products like I did. Every native product is thoughtfully formulated to keep you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. Native deodorant checks a lot of the boxes, 72 hour protection, naturally derived ingredients, and a smooth residue free application. Native also offers a variety of scents with new and limited edition scents being released all the time. When you use Native, you will smell amazing all day long thanks to their long lasting scents. Want to smell spicy and woodsy or clean and fresh? Native has a scent option for everyone. Toasted marshmallows is my favorite. When you visit their site, you can discover all their fresh scents and maybe even try out one of their body washes while you're at it. Smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. Get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com exit or use promo code exit at checkout. That's nativedo.com exit or use promo code exit at checkout for 20% off your first order. Make me see the light. Bro, I had no idea about the fellowship that I'm in now, mm-hmm. okay? He took my number down. I took his number down, man. I thanked him. I was crying, man. Like, just so happens that um, he's in recovery, and he was two years clean. He, um, I'm not going to tell his whole story, but that's how he was working with, you know, for that, mm-hmm. for that facility, for that rehab. You know what I'm saying? So I had basically, I had a fucking intervention dude in rehab, and that was like day three in rehab. And they had a um, that night, that fucking night, bro. They had a meeting, one of the twelve step meetings in there. And a boy, uh, this dude, my boy, said, "Hey, man, let's check out this meeting." I was like, "All right, cool." And I went in the meeting, man. And I never been in a meeting before. I had, I, had, I heard of meetings. I had no idea about this fellowship. There was two guys. Uh, there was a guy that was holding the meeting and a speaker. They had one of the books. The speaker just basically told my whole fucking story, man. And I was just like. I, I, I need to change. I want this side. So after the meeting, I went up to him and I was like, hey, man, I'm Marco. I, I, I don't know what to do. And he, he was like, bro, this is my book. Some dude in rehab gave me this mm-hmm. book. I'm giving this shit to you, man. And I don't read. I read now. <laughs> but I don't read. I read that book in two days. Wow. And from that day, from that day, man, I've stayed clean one day at a time, bro. That was my God moment, man. That, that really, like, you know, opened my eyes to see that I personally can change this disease and this mindset and this thinking, man, and, and, and get spiritual. And, and, and I got out of rehab and I went to IOP for three months, 12 hours a week. And I couldn't work. I'm a chef by trade. So I was, a, I was a private chef then. I basically did 270 meetings in 90 days. Hmm. I got a sponsor. Just like the people listening, I mean, I have so many people that are like, dude, I want to get clean, but I just can't take off of work. Oh, I have yeah. family. Oh, you don't understand. I got kids. Bro, my boy, Dude, I've known this guy since I've been clean. He used mm. to have more clean time than me. He's been in and out, in and out. And when he gets clean, he's super successful. He does so well. And then he just blows it all and loses it all. And then he real, uh, you know, rebuilds it. Dude, he was desperate the other day. And I was like, bro, just go do rehab. If you have insurance, bro, and you have the ability to go to rehab, you need to take advantage of that. Yeah. And if you can't, go to Salvation Army. If you can't go there, just go to a halfway. Yeah. Don't do anything else but recovery for a long time, as long as you can. And he was like, I have kids, I have a family. What am I supposed to do? Just give up everything. I was like, bro, if you die, what does it matter, bro? Them, and I was like, bro, your kids are young, bro. If your kids could talk, they would tell you, daddy, go to rehab. You know, And it's so hard for people to see that because they just don't see, like they can't put down what they have for the possibility of getting more because they just want to hang on the bit that they have. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I agree, Brandon. I, I also think, you know, that's, that's the whole thing about how powerful the disease is, dude, and what it does to the mindset. Were you thinking like, I got to get back to work, I got to get back to work, or were you in a point when of I, surrender? Where when you, I got out of rehab? Yeah. No, bro. I, I wasn't even about work. I, I was, you know, I, I remember the second day out of rehab, I was in front of our, our place and I called my wife, she was at work, and, and I was like, hey, I need to go back and rehab. <laughs> I need that fucking cocoon. Yeah. Because mind you, for me, man, you know, I used for 19 fucking years. And so like... Even me, I got clean young, and it's like when I had 30, 40 days clean, I felt like I needed to go to more meetings. I felt so, like my parents were talking about college and getting a job, and I was like, no, like I just need to live at these meetings. 
And I had like a, an awareness of the first step that I knew that I had an allergy and I knew that left to my own devices and unsupervised, I will use. Right. I knew that I didn't have a lot of defense against this. You know, as soon as someone walked out the door, I was like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I was like, not, you know, I was not feeling good. And for the first time in my life, I was honest. I was like, man, like I need supervision. I need to be in these, with these people, yeah. you know? And I think that is what really is the difference between people who stay clean and people who don't. It's the people that think that they kind of got it and, and they can do it a little bit and, and whatever. And it's like, for me, it's like, I was like, dude, I'll do whatever I need to do. And if other people need to go to a meeting today, I should go to two. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I was like, maybe you guys could go to three meetings a week. Like I needed to go every single oh, day. And bro. I went every single day for years. Yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying, bro. And I'm acknowledging you like, for me, man, it, it was medicine. I just sat there for months and didn't say a fucking thing, bro. Mm -hmm. And just listen. And I just like compartmentalized shit, dude, that like motherfuckers would say that, you know, I was selfish. I would just latch on to like these dudes and what he's saying, he's got mm -hmm. X amount of years and how do you get there and in spiritual, that's how I found my sponsor, mm -hmm. my my sponsor. I went up to my sponsor, I heard him share like my first sponsor, right? And I heard him share like six times and I just went up to him and I approached him and I talked to him. He's like, hey man, listen, you know, I, I, I want to tell you something. And the first thing he told me, I was like, what? He's like, every time you share, you say, I'm Marco, I'm a drug addict. And I'm like, yeah, like, so, so what? He's like, man, why don't you say Marco, I'm a grateful recovering addict. Like mm -hmm. change that, mm -hmm. change that whole, like change the voice, change that, change what the disease, like, mm -hmm. because it works in very, for me, it works in so many different ways. Yeah. I think language is the first way that we rehardwire our brains. Things I say change the things that I think, create new grooves and possibilities for my mind. So, you know, I've read so many like psychology self-help books and like uh, in Atomic Habits, like this guy talks about how to change a habit. And he talks about how a lot of people try to change the behavior and then change the identity. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you don't identify as a good tennis player until you're a good tennis player. But he said that if you start identifying as a good tennis player, you'll become a good right. tennis player. And a lot of people don't do that. And I was like, man, that's why the 12 steps work. That's why right. the program works because we start identifying as recovering addicts. Right. And we're no longer the drug addicted addict. And before recovery, I didn't identify with anything other than like someone who's not using. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, the program is uh, ingenious. Right. And how it's it was set up 70 years ago, yeah, you know? Man. It works if you really work it. If you put in like every every ounce of energy that you use to drink or drug or whatever, man, like you got to put in more for your recovery on a daily. Like, mm -hmm. because it, it, like for me, you know, coming up on hopefully seven years soon, March 3rd. It's still, That's awesome. It, I think it, you told me that because I'm March 23rd. Yeah. That's cool. It, yeah, man. It, it still shows up, the mm -hmm. disease in various forms for me. And I'm still learning. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking like, you know, I need to call my sponsor. I haven't called my sponsor in a little bit. So oh, really? it's like, this is what the program does. It's right. like you talk, you hear about, you get re-inspired to commit to what you're doing. Definitely. And it's just like anything else, bro. When you go to the gym, you meet people in the gym, they like inspire you to eat Definitely. better or whatever. And it's like, when you surround yourself with people with a common goal, we also have a common enemy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we we identify with the common enemy and it's like, that's what that guy's talking about. It's like, dude, that disease that you're buddy buddy with mm. is killing your family. Right. So now you're like, damn, he's true. Like, this isn't my friend. This isn't a comfort thing. This is something trying to harm me and harming my family. Right. You know, and then that's when we have that separation. And I think that separation is what we do in step one. And step one is the first time where someone can say, like, you aren't the disease, you have a disease. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to talk about what Brian, like who real Brian is. Yeah. It's Venom and Spider-Man. Like you <laughs> finally ripped that thing yeah, off. Yeah. You. But from the beginning, you thought it gave you this power. And now you're like, no, this thing is using me. I'm not using it. Yeah. And then you keep it at bay. Yeah. The enemy is always using you, bro. Mm -hmm. Always in different ways, shapes or forms. That's what I've learned. I definitely feel like, to be quite honest with you, like, you know, that whole thing with the, you know, we have a common enemy going into those rooms. It's medicine for me. You know, like I'm very selective in, in the meetings I go to now. Mm -hmm. And there's like just a couple of guys that I surround myself with, you know, I, I speak to my sponsor on a daily every day. So like on my iPhone, man, I have like the whole notes app, man. And we, we talk every morning and there's, I got pages of shit, dude, that he said. And one day, uh, a year and a half ago, he, I was going through some shit and he was like, you know what, man, like by all means necessary. 
<laughs> it's true it's true yeah and I, and I was like what and he's like i'll talk to you tomorrow and i was like mm-hmm. all right cool and so i just sat on that all day and he's like man he's totally right man and that's how like i came up you know i was like i'm gonna it's one day i was like you know i, I want to give back you know i'm gonna start this podcast mm-hmm. and call it by all means necessary oh that's cool that's why it's bam yeah Okay, so, yeah. so so the name of your podcast is Bam Recovery. It's uh, by all means necessary real recovery talk, but like on the gram, it's B A M. I only could get the B A M N. B A M. Okay. B A M N. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, because it's like um, I was t- someone messaged me the other day, and they were like, "Hey, I have an ex boyfriend who's using, and he tried to get clean, and he can't get clean." So he's stuck on, I think he was like on methadone or suboxone. Mm-hmm. And he says every time he tries to get off, he can't and he doesn't like going to meetings. And he just got like staph infection or something, like MRSA or something. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's all bullshit. Like if the program works, doesn't matter if you like it or not. People don't like chemo. They fucking do chemo. Yeah. People don't, there's a lot of shit I don't like. Who said you had to like it? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. like, if you don't want to do it, then keep getting fucking staff and MRSA and be addicted to pills. Like if you think you have a better way to do it on your own, then go do it on your own. Right. Oh, you're 40 years old and you haven't been able to do it on your own? Well, why don't you fucking listen to someone who has done it on their own and goes to meetings? And obviously what they're doing is working. And she's like, well, he's in so much pain. And I was like, I don't want to hear it. I seen a lady, I was telling her, I was like, I seen a lady give birth with no medicine on TikTok standing up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, bro, there's people in other countries getting clean with no rehabs in a fucking hundred yeah. mile square radius. Yeah. There's somebody right now that's been using 10 times harder than he is. And he'll get clean with nothing right nothing. now. He'll go to yeah. jail right now and yeah. get, clean. get clean. So you need to like stop buying into his bullshit of like, poor me, pity me. Because that's why he's calling you. Yeah. If you called him out on his bullshit bullshit stop calling you exactly you know you're probably saying oh damn that sounds horrible right. if that motherfucker call me i'd be like go to a meeting bro <laughs> i don't want to hear that shit and it's not that i'm trying to say that he's not in pain or he doesn't have a shitty situation as addicts someone needs to say you put yourself there yeah of course you're the reason why you're like that this wasn't an accident like recovery is not an accident and using is not an accident so it's like your consistent bad decisions have led you to the life that you have and consistent good decisions and following some direction from someone who has some experience, strength, and hope will change your life. And it doesn't matter if you like it or you don't like it or it's corny. You think I like my drug dealers? (laughs) You know what I mean, bro? I, I want what they have. Yeah. So a lot of times I think people think too much about it. Like, just do it. Right. You know, like you don't have to know how sit-ups work. Just do sit-ups. You know what I mean? Like you don't have, like no one likes sit-ups, you know, like no one likes a lot of the things we do. But when you look at the the results of it, it's amazing. It's truly amazing, man. It's your life is 10,000 times better. And it's not even comparable. It's like, no, not even. I remember one of the, one of the main things that uh, this guy said, uh, Ray G, he was on the podcast. My first guy clean. He was like, man, the way I used to live, if I saw a dog living that way, I'd call the humane society. So it's like, as addicts, we cling to this lifestyle that if another person walked by and saw it, they would fucking call the cops. You know, they would be like, Jesus Christ. But in our minds, we think that's all we can be. In our minds, we think that this is comfortable. Yeah. What would happen if I didn't use drugs, you know? Exactly. You're going to detox for probably a month or two, and you're probably going to feel like not great for a while. But after that, it's going to feel like ecstasy. Yeah. You know, you'll get to a point where you just fucking eat a sandwich from the gas station and fucking taste like filet mignon. (laughs) You know, I remember the first time I ate food. Yeah. I remember the first time I like cracked open an energy drink and smoked a cigarette, like clean. It felt, felt good to be clean. Yeah. It felt good to know that I wasn't in a prison anymore, you know, like true freedom. Most definitely, man. Yeah. And, uh, it's also too, like, uh, also like training hard, getting that like good dopamine, you know, that's a whole nother level, Mm -hmm. man. That's a whole different also mindset too, like eating clean and training and the- yeah, running. Dude, when I first got clean, that's like one of the first things I did was I, you know, got some little running shoes. I got a little bicycle, and it just felt good to be a part of the world. Yeah, because when you're using, you see people on bikes and you see people with their family. <laughs> yeah. You're just like a motherfucker. You like yeah, hate you, them. Yeah, you know? I hate them motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with them? You see someone smiling on a bike, you're like loser. Yeah, literally I mean? bullshit. They're yeah. lying. They're mm-hmm. faking. They're, yeah, they're acting. Yeah, or you think like you know, for me, like I was so against it. I thought like society was corny. I was like, guys go to work, you know. <laughs> but like the reality is, is that you might have a shitty job, but when you're grateful, you love that little shitty. Like I loved all my little shitty jobs. Mm. You know, I loved fucking my first couple of years clean when I had nothing. 
you know, I was just so grateful to, I couldn't even, it was like, you know, I could pinch myself like I was dreaming. Mm -hmm. I was doing shit that I never done. And it would be the most simplest shit. I remember the first time I got ice cream on the beach. Yeah. I didn't know the beach had fucking ice cream shops. You know what I mean? It's like, I never even ordered ice cream in years. You know, it's just like, and if I did, it was like from the gas station, I was fucked up or some shit. Like I never was like, and I couldn't enjoy simple things. Right. And when you get clean, it's like little things just are like, it's like being born again. Yeah, you know? It's like, like you're yeah. a baby, you yeah. know? You're, you're just and, smiling and, it for nothing. And, you're and when you're in the rooms, you see people glowing. You know what I mean? Yeah, Bro, definitely. when you see people with years clean, I could tell that they were ex-addicts just from their demeanor. Because I could tell like a square from like an ex-drug addict. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're different. Right. So when I would see like these ex-drug addicts smiling, bro, they look like they were glowing, you know? Yeah, most And they look like giants to me supernatural people <laughs> yeah most it, was, definitely. it was for me it was like a whole whole world that it blew my mind meetings for me is like medicine it really is man like it, it really you you like you you get in there and, and you think that you got something wrong or you think that you're going through some shit man you're gonna hear something that you're, you're like you're like wow like how are they staying clean mm-hmm. and, and and they break it down you know and you like look at yourself and be like all right man like it's not that bad like i yeah, I might, I, I might have had a reservation, or I might have this reservation, or I might think like, man, I don't think I can get through like today or something like that. If you keep going and keep listening, man, you just keep getting information, and it, and it works. And it's not, it's not like motivation at all. It, it's like like-minded people with the same sickness mm-hmm. and the same shit, and and they're just going through different periods of their life or the different parts of their recovery. You'll find that like once you when, once you start gaining more recovery time, you start learning more about yourself and you start learning like you go through different shit in life, man. Now there's death. Now there's this. You lost this. You gained this. You took three steps forward, two steps back, but now you're here and you're like, all right, man, but I'm still, I'm still alive. You know, I'm not living that fucking dirty life. I'm, I'm not miserable. You know, like I'm actually happy now. Like I still have this disease. And for me, it was tough, like in the beginning, to really rationalize and, and to tell people that I was, you know, I, I had a disease of addiction. Uh, it took a little while for me to come out and tell, you know, people. But after I got that out, I just started living. I started, I started living free. And it was the best feeling in the world. There's a lot of freedom in like saying that you're an addict and having power over it now, you yeah. know, because it's like for a long time, we hide that about our identity. And we're ashamed of it. And it's something we don't want to talk about. And it's like anything else that you can think of, like any other disease. You know, it's like you can't start addressing it until you self-diagnose yourself or someone diagnoses you. But it's like this is the only disease that like it's in your mind that tells you you don't have a disease. Right. So it's like this is the only thing that like we battle on a daily basis. And people can't stop eating sugar. You know what I mean? Like people can't stop drinking coffee, you know? And those same people will point the finger and look at a drug addict, like, look at this crackhead or look at this person. You know what I mean? And and the reality is, is that I've seen so many people get clean that it inspires me when I see somebody like just struggle to get clean because I know what's on the other side of it. Mm. So like when I see people struggling, I like seeing it because for me, that's what gets you out of the struggle is to share about it but when someone's like 30 days clean like oh it's all good i'm just like i don't know you know what I mean? like there's something going on you know yeah. i don't know man like for me recovery has just been something that i just bought into it and i'm someone who's like skeptical are I, you yeah super skeptical really? i don't like just fall for shit you yeah, know yeah. what i mean so no, it's like you analyze shit before yeah, yeah. and like dude when i read the basic text it just made so much sense to me yeah right well, like, dude, I would try to find holes in it and I would try to find like reasons why I did. I used to Google like, you know, outcomes and like, is addiction real? And like, oh, what's really? the percentage of people that stay clean or whatever? And like, you know, on the internet, like I remember I used to go on like these forums and even on the forums, a lot of people would talk about like the program working, you know, mm-hmm. and there was people that like said it didn't, but even online, there was a lot of people that were talking about how, you know, they got clean through the 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah, I remember too, bro, in in rehab, like there's these dudes that, you know, there was like their 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th fucking rehab, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're in like group and they're like just fucking rolling their eyes, talking shit, this, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, this rehab, you know, was pretty hardcore, man, to be honest with you. It was like a a minimum security rehab, Mm -hmm. right? So... The therapist was like, you know what, man, this, this, is, the, this is the third time I've seen you here in a, in a year. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not fucking getting it. Yeah. And she wasn't like, you know, like enabling them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. Like if I think, I think back now, you know, and, she, and that whole experience, 
you know, you could sit there and like, I, I remember sitting there and I was like, I don't want to fucking go here eight more times, mm -hmm. seven more times. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? The, why? What is that going to do for me? Like, is this fake? Like, is this is just a money making machine or mm -hmm. like, but like, you know, for me, like, it was like, you know, having that whole experience, man, like I just bought, I, I bought into it and it proves itself. Like these dudes do this and they actually stay clean and they don't have to use drugs or rely on a substance to get you through that shit. Welcome to the Genesis House powered by the United Recovery Project. Located in sunny South Florida, we offer drug and alcohol addiction treatment as well as a major focus on dual diagnosis. Our addiction therapy programs include behavioral therapy, 12-step facilitation, psychotherapy, life skills training, and more. At our facility, you can expect a low client-to-staff ratio, daily group therapy, weekly one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions, and luxury amenities such as volleyball, basketball, pool, chiropractor, personal trainer, yoga, massage therapy, and more. Contact the United Recovery Project today and let's create a better tomorrow. Yeah, when I would um, go to meetings and see people talking about I've been in and out for years, my first reaction would be, that's going to be me if I don't do the program. That's going to be me because I used to have this idea of like, oh, that'll never happen to me. So many things have already happened to me that I thought would never happen to me. Okay. I remember going to court being like, I ain't never going to be back in here and I'll be back in court. <laughs> so I remember throwing away Coke and being like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I would be back to doing Coke. Yeah. You know, I remember throwing away crack pipes and being like, I'm never going to do it again. So I had surrendered to the idea that I, to my own devices, I get back on the merry-go-round somehow, some way. Right. I don't know how, but I get in the car and people aren't doing drugs. Like I just don't, it just, yeah. I end up in the car with people doing drugs. Right. And I'll, I'll wake up that day with zero intentions on using. And I just end up in the bad neighborhoods. And so there's something about me and my, my personality that, that doesn't feel comfortable in my own skin that eventually I go back to using. So when I got clean and people would share how they're in and out, in and out, I had a lot of empathy for them because I was like, that's going to be me if I don't get clean. So a lot of times when people get clean young, they don't stay clean because they have this idea of like, that's not going to be me. Yeah, I always you know? wondered that, man, like how like, you know, what, what it's like to be young and, and get <laughs> no, no, for real. Like, yeah. what, like what it's like, how hard that shit must be, dude. Yeah, I mean, it seems hard, but at the same time, I also didn't have a family or kids. So I also, so it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, it's hard because a lot of people your age are, you know, partying yeah, and they course, haven't yeah. even started using. They're, but at the same time, I also didn't have a lot of responsibilities where I could go to three meetings a week. Right. I could sit on my ass and do step work all day long. You know, I used to mm. do, I did most of my step work in high school, you know? So oh, it's really? like, I remember like the teacher would be talking, I'd be like, step one, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I did, you know, I think like steps one through seven in high school, you know, because wow. it's like in high school, you have so much free time where it's like, you know, you're done with your schoolwork, you're just sitting there. So I would do it in, in lunch, I would do it in school. And it's like, a lot of people that have busy lives already and have a whole life, it's really hard for them to sit down and set aside time to sit yeah. down and read and write. But in school, you have some, like, you know, I used to read a lot in school too because you have so much downtime. There are a lot of pros and cons to it too because it's like, you also see the upside of it where you're like, man, what if I did get clean this young? Because mm. everyone who got clean young, they're not regretting it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I didn't see anybody regretting getting clean young. Right. If anything, I saw a lot of envy from older people. Sure. That were like, dude, if I would have just got clean young. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And my, my drug use was so severe that I didn't have issues whether or not I was an addict. So a lot of young people, if their drug use isn't like crack and heroin yet, mm -hmm. they might not feel like they belong. But as soon as I went to my first meeting, mm -hmm. I was relating I was yeah. laughing. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, like, this is where I'm going to end up and this is where I need to be, you know? Maybe not every young person feels that way. And I get a lot of people, like young people come up to me who are like, you know, I just don't know if I'm really an addict. Yeah. And I always tell people that it's not about whether or not you're an addict, it's whether or not you want to be in recovery. Because you're always going to convince yourself you're not an addict. Mm. But if you look at it the other way, do you want to be in recovery? Okay, well, what does that mean? That means you have a sponsor, you go to meetings, you work steps, and you do service. Yeah. So if you do those four things, 
you're in recovery. It don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter about nothing else, you know? Yeah. I wasn't shy. So when I got clean, I wasn't like one of these young people that like didn't want to share or was like scared to meet people. Mm-hmm. I was like abrasive. Really? I was like, yo, what's up, bro? Help me. You know, yeah. like I seen you pull up, like you got years clean. Like I have a question about this. Or I would go up to, you know, people with clean time, be like this doesn't make any sense to me. Because yeah. I remember I went up to this guy, uh, they used to call him Basic Text Jeff. And I thought I had found something in the book that made no sense. I was like, all right, bro, if we're addicts forever, we call ourselves addicts. Why does it say in the beginning of the book that the lie is dead, once an addict, always an addict? Mm. And I was like, because if we're always addicts, then how is that a lie? And he said, that was a saying they used to say back in the day. So that saying was a negative term that people used to say, once an addict, always an addict. So they're talking about like the 1950s where when someone had a drug problem, they weren't talking about helping them. They weren't talking about recovery. They weren't talking about changing. That was a saying. Right. So that's what they mean when they say the lie is dead. And then he would go into like the whole history of the 12 step program and how like the Black Panthers used to, you know, help us with meetings and it was illegal for people to meet and how like Jimmy K and all these people and, you know, Bill W and how they wrote the 12 steps and how, you know, they used to meet at people's houses and 12 step people and, you know, talk about like all this stuff. My respect for the fellowship started to grow. Because at first I took it for granted. I was like, oh, there's a meeting over here. And he'd be like, bro, in Saudi Arabia, they're having meetings right now. Go to Saudi Arabia and tell someone you have a drug problem, bro. They'll kill you. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You can't be doing drugs over there. Right. You know, they have like a, there's countries where there's like a zero tolerance. And he would say like, right now they're having a meeting. And I would be blown away. I'd be like, wow. Like, I started to see how this was so big. That's like, getting back to what you said, Mo, like to be like how you were abrasive and stuff like that, like. That works. Mm-hmm. Delve in, man. I wasn't shy to get it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, all. I was kind of like that with using. Like when I was using, I would see people like n- think that I was young and I would be like, oh, you think like, I'm like some young, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, right. I'm rob- show them <laughs> <laughs> I'll run your pockets, you know, I'll like, I'll rob you. You know, like mm-hmm. I was abrasive with using, you right. know, you don't become a crackhead at 14 being shy. At you know? 14? I was smoking crack at 14. Wow, man. Yeah. So it's like, and before that I was doing coke and it's like, when I tell people I was doing drugs young, they have like a, oh wow, that like, that's sad. I was like conniving, manipulating kid. I wasn't like a sweet, innocent kid who like some older guy gave me drugs and like abused me or something. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, I had people <laughs> come into my house and my sister used to pop out and be like, leave my brother alone stop giving him drugs. And they'd be like, yo, he's selling us drugs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was about using, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. I was robbing people. Right. I was ripping people off. I would get other kids turned on to drugs. I'd build up their trust. You know, mm-hmm. if you were trying to buy a pound of weed, I would just take your money because, like, I didn't wasn't even interested in weed, you know? like. Yeah. And uh, I don't say that to act like I was cool because deep down inside, I was just an insecure kid. I was so insecure. I was uncomfortable at my age. I was uncomfortable in my body. I hated myself. And I just grew up in this uh, mindset that, like, you need to be... You need to run over people, they'll run over you. And when people used to try to take advantage of me of like, you know, it happened a couple of times where someone would find out that I was younger and they'd be like, oh, we're just gonna rip this kid off or we're gonna sell him fake shit or something. So like after that happened like twice, I was like, oh, okay. Like I ain't gonna be nice to anybody. So even though I was really young, I wasn't like a sweet kid that was on drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was mean and conniving. Yeah. You're, a dirtbag. I was a dirtbag. You, know? you were about that life. Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't tough, but I also wasn't scared. When I got clean, meetings were the first time where I didn't have to wear a mask. So this was the first place where like I, I cried. Yeah. You know, this is the first time I would go to meetings. I'd raise my hand and I would cry and say, I feel like using, I don't feel safe. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go home. And people would be like, we're going to IHOP after, yeah, you know, so, and you yeah. hang out at IHOP and fellowship and, and fellowship and hang out. And this is the first time, like I really embraced hugging. Mm-hmm. saying I love you to people, you know? Yeah. Everything in NA blew me away. In recovery, like, blew me away. Yeah. You know, like, the answers were so simple. I remember I called my sponsor once and I had, like, six months clean. And I was like, you know, my family doesn't say I love you. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, it's just like, you know, we're, we're not that type of family. You know, the other day my sister called me and she said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And she said, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to, like, her boyfriend or something. <laughs> and she didn't mean it in a bad way, yeah. but, like, it made me feel a type of way. And my sponsor was like, why don't you just say it? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, why don't you just, why don't you just say it? Just start saying it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like the answer is that simple, you know? Yeah. And like now me and all my family say it. Mm. Before I hang up the phone, like I try to say, I love you before every phone call, you know? 
And they say it back to you. I don't even think about it. Now they do, yeah, but there was a time when no, they no, wouldn't. I, I understand. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But like, I wasn't fishing for it. Right. I was just saying it. Yeah. It opens doors, man. Like the simplest little things that you hear, like, like especially like for me, from my sponsor, simple things. Yeah. Like just simple. Like, like they're keep, gurus. <laughs> yeah. No, no, for yeah. real. They are. The motherfuckers mm -hmm. are, man. Mm -hmm. they're, they are because they, they were taught like yeah. my sponsor, he tells me that his sponsor celebrated 37 years clean and his sponsor is named Barefoot John. <laughs> my sponsor's sponsor is named Barefoot John. My sponsor tells me this story two years ago when I was close, I was coming up on five years clean. And it's weird because every time I'm coming up on my anniversary, man, shit gets a little weird with me mm -hmm. a little bit. I don't know why. It just, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. That's how I function. Yeah. I think it's your body remembering the trauma of getting clean. So I think it's like your body and brain mm -hmm. knowing that an anniversary of like your rebirth, you know? That's true. I never so thought of I it think like that. that when you were approaching your clean date, because like your clean date is six months away, it's whatever, it's three months away. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's six years. You start thinking about, man, what it was like, all the pain it took yeah. to get in here, yeah, to exactly. walk through those doors, yeah. you know? So like, I think your body just has like a natural response to mm -hmm. remembering. And it's just like when someone dies, you know, yeah. when it's someone's anniversary of their death, like it starts to hit you all over again. He always says, uh, not yet. And I was like, you know, I haven't, you know, I, I was on the phone with him and I was, I was cl coming close to five years clean. And I'm like, you know, uh, I haven't fucking relapsed. And he's like, hold, hold on a second, man. And he's like real spiritual, like, like a guru calm and stuff. His decibels never get up above mm -hmm. whatever. And he's like, uh, not yet. He's like, but let me tell you something. I'm like, what? He goes, you know, I had, uh, when I had my second time around, I had five years cleaned. He said, everything I gained in five years, I lost in 24 hours. I relapsed. And he goes, I don't, I don't want that for you. He goes, so I relapsed for you. I was like, in 24 hours? He goes, the dope dealer had my car, gutted the whole fucking apartment, all the bank accounts in 24 hours. I smoked crack, man, everything was gone. And he's like, you'll get through this. Call me tomorrow, <laughs> right? So I, I call him the next day, and I was like, that after we hung up the phone, I was good. It was just like mm -hmm. not yet, yeah. You know, not like. And it's like that's the thing. paradox of like being in recovery. It's like the people who think that relapse is possible for them don't relapse, and the mm -hmm. people that think that it's impossible relapse. Yeah, because it's like you need to have that humility to know that you can fall off to stay on track. Because right. if you stop thinking that you can fall off. You start sliding, sliding, yeah. and before you know it, you're on the edge, and you're like, how did I get here? Right. So it's like, people always ask me, like, do you still feel like using? And I say, like, I know using is a possibility, and I don't know how it would happen, but I know a couple scenarios. You know, I stop going to meetings. I start telling myself I don't need them. I stop feeling connected to the program. Mm -hmm. I stop identifying as an addict. I start putting myself in situations that I probably wouldn't put myself in without the armor of like the identity of being in recovery. And then maybe I'm with people who are drinking and it might take a year, it might take two years, but let's say I have a drink. Another scenario is let's say I don't go to meetings for a couple of years, I feel totally fine. And boom, I have a car accident. I'm in the fucking hospital. They're asking if I want pain meds. I say no four, five, six, seven times. Right. And then on the eighth time, I'm like, give me the pain meds. And maybe if I had a sponsor and a support group and people there to guide me through the process, I wouldn't take them. But now that I'm taking them, I kind of feel like I have nobody. And then I abuse them. And then you get home and you're staring at a bunch of pills. You abuse them, you know, right. and before you know it, you're using. So it's like I've seen all the different scenarios of people that have used. In my opinion, it's just people that stop making recovery a priority. You're right. I want, let me, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. I, I wanted to ask, ask you this the day that I ran into you at Just Salad, dude. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this, but um, how does the podcast help your recovery? I want to say it doesn't. Okay. I want to say it doesn't because even though this is a podcast, mm -hmm. this is still something extra. Right. So this is still something extra, not necessarily 12-step related. Right. And I feel that if I started to think that this was helping my recovery, it would become a trap because maybe I think that I don't need to go to meetings because I do the podcast. Right. And as much as I want to say like the podcast is great and helps me so much and it helps other people, the reality is, is that this does more for other people than it does for me on a recovery level. Right. On a personal level, it's rewarding. It feels good. But I don't think that there's a substitute for recovery. Right. I think recovery can only come from 
a 12-step type of thing. And that church, religion, um, volunteer work are all possible because I have focused on my recovery so much. Mm -hmm. So I always think that those things are like ancillary services for my recovery. But I think the day that I start confusing this with something recovery related is the day that I start, you know, stop thinking that I need to do so much. Like after this, I'm thinking about, I might go to the 10 o'clock, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, for me, I don't want to be somebody that I don't want to be a fat personal trainer. Right. Me training people doesn't get me in shape. If I'm not doing the push-ups, I'm just helping you do the push-ups, it ain't going to help me at all. Sure. So I think that it feels rewarding. Like, bro, when yeah. I get text messages and stuff like that, I think it's cool. And I think that I've grown to the point where I want to do things outside of recovery. You know, like I used to do stuff with uh, like kids with cancer and stuff like that. And like, man, you want to talk about having gratitude? You think you have problems? It almost made me f- be kind of senile because it's like I couldn't deal with responses. Yeah. You know, they're calling me complaining about their girlfriends. I'm like, I just left the family that, you know, told me that, you know, their kid has three months to live. You know, there are things that I've done because I've gotten clean that I've felt interested to help people. I try to keep that separation pretty, pretty strong. Even work. Right. You know, I, I own and operate a drug rehab. You know, my dad always thinks like, that must help you so much. And I'm like, it doesn't. I don't care if you make $1 from it. If you make $1 from it, it is not recovery. Right. Even if you, even if it's free and you're helping people, it's not really a recovery thing. Mm. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Appreciate that. That's just what I need to tell myself because yeah. I can be on like some, some ego shit of like, yeah, help all these people, whatever. But I think that could be counteractive to what I want to do right. in my personal recovery. You know? Yeah. When I work with my sponsees, man, there's no... There's nothing like that. You know, taking a man through the 12 steps, I don't care how many podcasts I do, there is nothing compared to that. It's like watching somebody who couldn't walk climb Mount Everest. It's like, man, I have sponsees that have gone from zero to 100 in their life. You see them, they don't even have a fucking bank account. They don't even have fucking social skills. They can't even hold a fork. They're fucking so fucked up. Yeah. And then a couple months later, they got like a little job. A couple months later, they got a little car. You know, a year later, they got like a little girlfriend. A year later, they got like a little apartment and they're happy. And for a year, they're calling you, telling you how miserable they are. (laughs) And it's like, man, when you see someone do that, talking about, I just want to love people. I just want to be a good person. Or seeing someone go through a relationship and walking them on how to end it like a man Mm -hmm. and not be like, fuck that bitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like things that as a kid, I was taught. I was misinformed by a lot of people and like, when I see stuff like that on a personal level in recovery, that's mm-hmm. actually like a recovery thing. Yeah. That's not recorded. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, as much as I want to say this is recovery, like we're creating content. When you do something when no one knows about yeah, it. Yeah. In the dark. It's the different, shadow. man. Yeah, it's different. Course, yeah. You know? Yeah. And just you and that other in- individual know exactly like what you went yeah. through. What and you I couldn't about. even explain it in words. No. I couldn't even capture it on, like, you couldn't even capture it. No, it's, it's like, that's look, how look beautiful at it, look it is. In the motherfucker's eyes, and he can see you now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like how people talk about childbirth. Like, dude, you could show me a video of your child being born, and it would be nothing to what it was like when you were there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. Only you know what that feeling you, you don't, I don't have that connection. You do. Right. You have the connection with, your wife and your child, and you saw her get pregnant. (laughs) You saw her with the morning sickness, and you saw that whole thing. So it's like you can't give that to anybody. No, not at all, man. But it's it's so rewarding. It really is, man. It's so rewarding to see, like, the growth. Mm Mm-hmm. The growth of an individual, like coming like we're like the depths of fucking hell, dude. Coming like where where they came from, where we come from. Like it, every story, everyone has their own individual. And it never gets old. No. It's not it's not like I'm no. like, oh cool. Like every time it's like so amazing. Mm. Like I write my goals every day and like I write them in first person. And like the main thing I do is I write like my purpose in life is to give. Because my whole life I was so sad and miserable. And it's because all I was focusing on what I was gonna get. So I try to focus on like what I can give in a scenario. And that helps me out at work. And when there's scenarios at work, I'm always like, what can I give in this situation? You know? So it's like recovery has changed my personality. Mm-hmm. You know, like we talk about in the 12 step, like a profound personality change. Yeah. Like my personality has changed. I'm no longer like a bitter, angry, conniving, 
human. Right. I can be. Yeah. You know, there's times where I resort to that. There's times where someone tries me and I'm just like, bro, this ain't this ain't the only Brian, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there's still like that person, but like they're in the back seat now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Tell me about your podcast. Cause I've seen you have like some pretty like famous people on there. You're like yeah. a pro fighter on there? Yeah, he's uh he's a really good friend of mine. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Jared Gordon. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, one day, uh, I was, uh, I'm fortunate enough to be a private chef and, uh, I was in Longport, New Jersey at my client's house and I was just looking out at the water. Something came inside me, man. There's a lot of people that are struggling that are like at their houses or they don't have means and ways to like get to meetings or stuff like that. I wanted to really, you know, have people relate to me. So I started with like my story. I talked about like drugs in the kitchen and I just did my first episode my first guest was actually uh, my wife she's not in recovery but mm -hmm. her side of the story oh that's cool. because that's huge they go through their own trauma and just uh this past saturday my 21 year old daughter camille and my 16 year old son quinn we did an episode with them in reality basically to be honest with you it's um it's a lot of people the majority of the people that i know that i met or i run into or it might be somebody that knows somebody i just ask them about like also too like with people that are in recovery that come in if they had any trauma that they want to talk about you know and i you know i always talk to them before mm -hmm. and to see if uh it's relatable and if they want to open up about that because i basically when after i got clean i told my sponsor about what happened with my dad and about the beatings and that's what I got through recovery. And I realized that I was able to get clean. When I got clean, I was able to forgive my father because I, I, I didn't realize that he was an addict. And I have no idea if he ever tried to get clean or go to meetings mm -hmm. or get sober or anything and You like don't that. know what happened with him in his childhood. I don't. And his dad was an addict. So I, you're exactly right. I have no idea. So that's the whole premise of it. Uh, just just trying to let, let you know have people come in and and after every episode like we'll finish and i'll ask the guests like you know how do you feel i swear to god everyone says that this is was fucking rewarding when you know can i come back or like mm -hmm. this is like you know they'll text me and when's the episode coming out or this that and yeah. then a friend of mine uh came on and uh his brother actually watched so the guy the guest his brother watched his episode on youtube and now they're like best friends dude oh that's cool yeah, and it's like for me with the podcast, I've done so many people that I've known for years. Mm -hmm. And when they speak at meetings, you only get like so much time. Sure. So you don't really know everything. Right. And it's like there's people that I've known for 14 years. I'm like, man, I never knew that about your story. And they're like, yeah, I don't really share it. Or there's things that like, you know, they don't want to share at the meeting. It's controversial. Mm -hmm. Some like, well, you know, like a religious upbringing or like some type of trauma. For me, it's like I get to know people more. But for me, my podcast, like, what I love about it is that I get to display all the amazing people I, I've met throughout my life. Nice. Because most of the people on the podcast, I say like 90% of them, have literally been influential in my recovery. So for me, it's like I get to have their story like on the internet that can forever be there. That it's like, dude, this is so-and-so. This guy helped me get clean. Right. Because when I got clean, I would listen to these speaker tapes. And they were like, you know, imaginary people. You would never meet them. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah. you know, they were yeah. like gods, yeah. you know. And it's like on the podcast, it's like now there's so many people in my recovery that to me are such miracles that I just want like the rest of the world to meet them. Sure. You know, and it's like there was times where I would introduce these people to my parents. And my parents would be like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> you know, and then I'd be like, dude, I'm telling you. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, when I have like the guests on the show, like, it's really to pay homage to a lot of people that helped me, you know? That's dope, man. And I think one of the things that I got, the difference between me and a lot of young people is that I had such a high regard for the people who were clean time. There might be rumors about them and their gambling problems yeah. and cheated on their wives, but like I never discredited how much they've done for the program and that they keep coming and they keep opening the doors and they keep helping addicts. And, you know, 20, 30 years later, they're still doing the thing. So I've always studied the greats. I apply that to anything I do. It's like, you know, like I started doing jujitsu, like mm -hmm. I'm trying to study the greats, you know, right. I'm trying to like talk to like the black belts and I'm trying to like, I want to know how they think. Right. You know, and I'm trying to, to do that. And like with business, like I look at the people that are like 10 years ahead of me, 20 years ahead of me in business and, and just learn from them. And it's like, I learned that in recovery. Yeah. Most definitely. You know, you did. Yeah. study the greats and stay consistent. Right. And always be a student. Yeah. 
you always are learning from them yeah well yeah. hey i want to thank you for coming on the Thanks, show bro. i appreciate it i appreciate you bro thank you uh, so much i'm very we'll be out next week yeah all bro right, it's cool. good seeing you all right you too this show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program if you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction please find a local 12-step meeting if you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.